Crow Talk. Crow Talk. Crow Talk. Film Squawk. Happiest Season. Co-written and directed by Clay Duvall, 2020. In a burst of holiday cheer, celebration reticent Abby agrees to spend Christmas with her girlfriend's family. But when she's forced to lie and pretend to instead be the straight roommate, Abby puts her plans to propose on hold. Whether you're new to Crow Talk or a seasoned listener, you're joining us during a singular time in 21st century history. As you're critically aware, coronavirus has rerouted normal life, tipping everything expected on its head. This podcast is no exception. Instead of recording Season 3 episodes from our studio at Western Washington University, we will be podcasting from our couches and remote workstations. We will use headphones with tiny microphones as dogs bark outside and our partners quietly bring us tea. Just as the quality of our production must shift, so has the dynamic of film viewing. So, welcome to our Season 3 series, Streaming in the Time of COVID, where we will reflect on the experience of viewing, share yays and nays, squawk our opinions, and consider takeaways. Things we want to remember moving forward about this film, or film in general. And we're here. (laughs) Happy Hanukkah. I don't know about both of you, but I am quite the sucker for holiday movies and rom-coms, though a lot of my favorites aren't necessarily considered like a a rom-com holiday film. Uh, But I do do have a soft spot for the the holiday rom-com, as flawed as it has always been. What about for you? Duh. <laughs> Is it even a question? I mean, I guess it changed when I always have loved a rom-com. Like, wrap it up with some Christmas. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, in, like, the cheesy, bad, good Christmas rom-coms, like the Netflix level, I just got on board. Stace, rom-coms at Christmas? I'm always down for a rom-com. Always. Um. I never watched the Hallmark Christmas movies, so I am also a nubile Christmas movie person, and it is because of Netflix. They sort of have rejuvenated or gave us all permission, maybe, (laughs) or access, I guess is what it is, to that uh, type of Christmas rom-com that we're all about to talk about. So the short answer is yes. The long answer is all the stuff I just said. Ooh, we got both. Gotta love that. Cover your bases. So then, Stace, Cassidy, tell me favorites. What are some actual titles of films you go back to year after year you cannot get enough of? That Christmas, holiday, rom, com, smorgasbord. Bridget Jones's Diary. Ooh. That's the one. That's it. Good one. That's <gasps> the one. And I haven't watched it yet. Classic rom-com, <laughs> The Nutcracker Suite with Barishnikov. It's weird. The ballet, it's not a rom-com. <laughs> weird answer. I think it actually kind of is, but that's for a different podcast about the not-so-subtle eroticism of The Nutcracker. And weirdness that her podcast. uncle was like, here's a dream for you, child, about a man. That's your yeah. love. Yeah, it's all weird. So, weird. Bridget Jones. That's a really good one. I feel like I'm... S- I know one for you, Stace. I want to spoon feed you an answer. Think okay, if you can... can no, I will husband. mentally. I don't know. Bad Mom's Christmas. <gasps> okay, well, that's new. <laughs> that's new it for me. I watched it for the first time this year. Okay, then I'm never trying mind. to give a rom-com. A lot of the mo- my go-tos aren't necessarily rom-com, I guess. Same, same. I feel um, like the one is love, actually. I don't visit that one each year, though. I watch, like, Sound of Music or Weird Christmas, Not Christmas movies. 
like that. Like Harry Potter. I kind of, I kind, yes, exactly. And I kind of forgot, but you know, you've got mail. It doesn't end in the holidays, but it starts in the holidays, you know, shop around the corner and all that. So I haven't revisited it yet, but I will. It's a good one. But I mean, my favorite movie of all time, somehow, some way, is The Family Stone, which is a really, really great example of the way to do holiday rom-coms. I will elaborate on that later. I would Mm. argue that it's a drama (laughs) and not a rom-com, is what I would argue with The Family Stone. And you know, it is very dramatic. Or it's a darker. But when you have a a brother, a Wilson brother on board, you you got a little bit of comedy. That's not is one of the best points you've ever made on this entire <laughs> podcast. Like, such a good point. You're right, you're right. It, oh. I just remember the first time I watched The Family Stone expecting something very different than what was delivered to me, which was, like, discomfort and sadness. So I guess, yeah, it's like kind of like a, 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 a drum rom-com. A drum rom com A Christmas drum rom-ready. Drum rom-ready. Drum-ready. <laughs> We should be in charge of genre. I think so. We should. Netflix, are you listening? It would make perfect sense. <laughs> oh, I do love that movie, Rochelle. That's a really good movie. It is super. It is serious. You are right. Uh, and so often that rom-com essence is that the person doesn't realize that what they're doing is funny, but we realize it's hilarious. And that's a huge, important piece of the trope. I get that. Uh, and so I think that it's going to be more pick and choosy of its of its scenes for sure than Happiest Season, which is through and through a rom-com. Yeah, though I would. And I feel like the rom-com deserves like broader horizons too. So like to have, you know, dramedy in there, like the rom-com deserves that. So can I like take back what I said? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love genre and I love picking it apart, especially when it comes to breaking new ground within a very specific stylized non-inclusive genre like like the rom-com especially in that holiday vein totally not even just in their relationships but also in the holidays <laughs> let's be real like we really don't have a ton of jewish rom-coms do we even have one listeners that is your homework email us immediately when you figure it out because i can't think of one so even though happiest season uh clay duvall's second feature film does not focus on hanukkah uh, but instead focuses on a, a very traditional christmas celebration there are plenty of non-traditional non-cookie cutter aspects uh, to this portrayal of that classic rom-com holiday tale. What are some yays, some reasons why our listeners should hurry to Hulu if they have an account, borrow someone's account, sign up for their own account, probably preferably, um, and watch Duval's Happiest Season? The biggest yay for me was the cast. They're beautiful and funny and beautiful. I was also going to say the cast because it's impossible not to. But I think fans of Duval are also really going to enjoy it, knowing the person who created this film and how long that she's been waiting to make this film. It's just very special. What was her other film? Her other film was in 2016 called The Intervention. So what is your yay, Rochelle? 
I, I have too many, truthfully. Every single word that comes out of Dan Levy's mouth, yay. Have you watched Shit's Creek? I haven't. And I've been meaning to. My friend and hairdresser, Anna, who's fabulous, has been telling me to watch it forever. I'm like, I will, I will, I will. Well, now, and I will. Now you're ready, though. Like, yeah. Now you're like a well-oiled Rochelle. You're ready to go. Go on. Okay. I love your yays. Keep going. Okay. So my number two is my spirit sister, Jane, whom I think is incredible as a character. But of course, also the writer and actor behind Jane, Mary Holland. And finally, my, <laughs> my, my third is, of course, the Jaguar wallpaper in the guest bathroom. Obvi. Did you see that Jaguar wallpaper? Yes. I need I it. I don't think I saw it. It's okay. I'll rewatch it. I'm obsessed with it. Wow. And that's not a very I serious one. Ultimately, yeah, it sounds like my, my are the characters as well. So go figure. But more specifically, you know, Dan Levy's everything. And, oh my God, Mary Holland is a comedic genius. So has anyone seen But I'm a Cheerleader? Is that with the woman from Orange is the New Black? And she like goes Tasha. to Natasha. Natasha. Yes. Um, so that's Clea Duvall. That's where I know her from. Natasha Leone goes to a conversion camp. She's a cheerleader. And her parents decide to send her to a conversion camp. And then she meets Clay Duvall, who plays an unashamed teen lesbian. Pretty cool. I've seen it. I liked it. It was like ahead of its time. Okay. So yays. Beautiful. <laughs> we went all out. How about nays? The nays is a loaded question for me. I rewatched this movie thrice because <laughs> I was so confused by it. And I don't think I like the writing at all. Oh, okay. Um, it was, I feel like there was like two things happening. There was like the family stone type of vibes, which is very straightforward. Like you're going to cry in this and feel kind of sad. You know, like to me, the family stone didn't try to fluff it up so much. Whereas Happiest Season took like Netflix, like Hallmark style writing and crammed it into a drama and like more heavy content matter though I can't speak to having to come out or anything like I think that whole story arc isn't even what I'm addressing here it's more just like real life drama of like feeling like I'm sitting in a relative's house during Christmas not wanting to be there so like real life feelings but then this like slapstick stuff on top of it that like did not they didn't mix for me I was also taken out sometimes with the family characters how big they were in comparison to our main gals I was geared for a mainstream Christmas rom-com that was like what I was going into it with and I'm excited to talk about expectations going into Christmas movies but I was taken out of it with how big and extreme they were the all the family members with the exception of Alison Brie she she wasn't that big to me but everyone else seemed like they were from a different movie. See, even Allison Brie for me was like, because she was so, like, yeah, I don't know. It, they were just big. And it, I did feel that sort of like, whoa, it took me out for a minute. So I'm excited to unpack why, because I have so many thoughts. I think the nays are exciting to unpack. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about expectations. But first, um, Rochelle. Rochelle. And I, I sort of stole my nay, uh, 
reading through articles, there's so much written about this film, which is fun, because that means that, you know, the divisiveness of the opinions can lead to really great conversation. But as far as Ine goes, I was pretty interested in what Scott Mendelson had to say for Forbes uh, when he suggested that the couple in Happiest Season, Abby and Harper, reminded him of the couple in Crazy, Crazy Rich Asians in that we have this fight for a couple that ultimately at the end, we're not even sure we believe belongs together. And I haven't figured out how I feel about that because I never fully gave up on on them as a couple. Because I buy in, like Stacy said, I went in with the understanding of what I was going to see. But specifically, my struggle was with Harper's character because we're following her and her family and in her world, but we're seeing it all through Abby's eyes with Abby's best friend being that tether point. And so all of this confusion that comes through really, for me, was seeded with Harper and Harper's identity crisis and that Harper's processing um, during this crazy time and how it impacted Abby. And so for me, it wasn't so much whether or not they belonged together as a couple, but they seemed in such different emotional maturity levels and in their processing of who they are in their own worlds, their individual worlds more than their shared world. And so, yeah, for me, I I was really interested by by what Mendelssohn had to say and, and how he compared it to Crazy Rich Asians and this whole idea that why would we be rooting for a couple to stay together if we or come back together after they've had a big fight if we don't actually believe that they belong together, if that hasn't been sold to us as an audience. So that's an A for me, more of just like a chewing point. That feels like a good segue into expectations to me. Because for me, I think the rub, and I think for a lot of people, though, I didn't ask personal opinions, I just saw a lot of middle fingers being held up to Harper's face on the screen behind them. A lot of people on Instagram just like didn't like this movie. Um, And that's just within our network. That's just like a personal observation I made. I was like, yeah, dying for this podcast because I just really wanted to talk about it because the reception of it has been so different. And I think one of the biggest expectations for me that was kind of like just destroyed, unfortunately, was that this was supposed to be a like out the gate LBGTQ rom-com and it became this like LBGTQ wrestling match of like where the love wasn't necessarily celebrated but it was like hit you know and again I am a cis white lady so I don't you know like Dan Levy said everybody has their own coming out journey and I respect that yeah for me it made me feel icky like I felt that feeling of being isolated in a place you don't necessarily want to be in and you're not going home until your plane ticket allows for that you know and And to me, that was an unfortunate, like, out the gate and like, yeah, it's a Christmas rom-com for the LBGTQ. Like, that was a little unfortunate. I'm like, oh, well, to make it more about a struggle rather than, like, celebrating queer love to me seemed kind of like, no, that sucks. Yeah, I I think that I didn't, I guess I don't know what I expected. Um, My sister came out to my parents at Christmas and it was a train wreck. So this really made a lot of sense to me (laughs) from a personal perspective place and like this idea of intense vulnerability on one side and 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 then having to struggle or figure out what your next steps are going to be and I think that I just assumed 
somewhere unconsciously that there would be some sort of massive issue. I didn't realize that in the process, Harper was going to treat Abby so poorly in such confusing ways that she would pull Abby so far into her own confusion, almost to the point where it felt like they, the year that they had been together, you, I really felt that the brevity of that year uh, in the way that Harper so quickly slips into such mistreatment. It made me question their foundation uh, versus being able to focus as much on her struggle, on on where Harper was coming from, which I thought was really important. And Kristen Stewart, for me, played Abby in such a vulnerable, kind, almost straightforward, simple way, just sort of like, I love her. She's not loving me back, kind of, that it only amplified the way that Harper was behaving for me. And so I I expected the struggle, but I didn't expect that type of struggle. I didn't expect a relationship struggle. I expected a strong relationship being faced with the mountain that is coming out to a conservative family during the holidays. I guess that's where my expectations fell. I mean, and I think you had a really good point earlier in the Forbes gentlemen, you know, where you talked about how, yeah, Harper's perspective is kind of left out of this entire film, even though she is sort of, or you would think would be the focal point of perspective that we would see through the film. And, you know, maybe that's why everyone was so like, why would Harper, or why would Abby pick Harper over Riley? That's like the biggest criticism of the film to the point that even Aubrey Plaza like asked Clay why that wasn't happening. And like, I get, I get why it didn't like, for me, it's not so much the struggle. It's just that I feel like the struggle was the whole movie. There was no romance. They like snuck into bed once there was like no romance. It was all just the struggle. And then it was Christmas day and it was over. And I don't know. I just left, it left me feeling like bamboozled and like my expectations were not met (laughs) when it comes to a Christmas rom-com, like even the family stone like hit all of those cylinders for me. I'm like, cool. Got it. I understand the characters here. P.S. There's many, many more to have to get to know. Then in happiest season, many more. We know them <laughs> very well. <laughs> Harper, who are you? And she's such an amazing actress. So I think I kept asking Stacy repeatedly if she had watched it yet. Cause she's a fan of Mackenzie. Oh, Mackenzie Davis. Awesome. Like and, as much as Kristen Stewart. And it like disappointed me. Oh, yeah. I was just like, disappointed by just the vibe like the feeling happiest season to me is almost like a an ironic name like I'm I'm thinking she entitled it ironically I wonder if she did yeah I felt that irony hardcore throughout and once I started thinking about my own reaction to those big characters that led me to well why were they so big because it does feel very intentional like as a director I feel like she gave that direction to be big to Jane to all of the sisters and the parents, but not, I almost felt like there were two different directors for Harper and Abby and Harper's family. Um, But then I started thinking about their portrayal as a metaphor for homophobia, like how toxic Mm -hmm. and from a queer person's perspective, how ridiculous maybe it is. So once I started thinking about that as happy a season as this the secret metaphor for the toxicity of homophobia, then I was like, okay, yeah, that works. I get it. I get that. Um, Without that, yeah, it's almost like two puzzle pieces that don't fit together. And you have to think who is really coming into it, viewing it at that analytical level too, because that's like some deep 
That's some deep thinking. And I feel like you have to be in writing. And- but I mean, is it though, because like the only sane people were the queer people, yeah. with the exception of Harper, who's like going through some shit, but everyone else, every other straight person in that movie, I was like, you're psycho. Like you're literally like, you're nuts. You're like, you sh- you're from a different movie. <laughs> um, so that was like the takeaway that we kind of arrived at after we watched because my partner and I kind of had similar reactions to the family. And we were like, why are they like this? And that led us down this rabbit hole of like, oh, all the straight people in this film, like the most, my favorite piece of the film was actually Aubrey Plaza and Kristen Stewart. They were the most like grounded characters and they knew who they were. That's universally like everybody's favorite part of the movie. Or yeah. Movies. Yeah. I, I found that out too. Um, but they were the most grounded. They knew who they were. Eugene Levy's character too. The, yeah. Those three knew Dan who Levy. they were. What did I say? Did I say Eugene? Eugene? Daddy? Dan Levy's character as well. Those three characters were the most grounded and the most open out queer people in the film. So that in itself is interesting, whether or not that was intentional. For me, that helps me understand these really big characters and reason out why they were so big. I guess for me, that just still doesn't help like a non-LBGQ, like conservative parents. Rochelle, maybe you can speak to this one a little more since you've experienced a holiday of similar. But like, how does that help accessibility and like telling this story? If like the metaphor and the understandings tuck so deep in a confusing film that viewers at first glance are like, what is happening with the vibe here? Like, I don't understand how that divisiveness is helpful as far as like spreading an LBGTQ love story that is like far reaching and who will consume it trying to, yeah, like reach other audiences that wouldn't necessarily come close to an LBGTQ film. I don't know. It it could play out somewhat as a Trojan horse, I guess, because it does have all the trappings of a traditional Christmas film and all the hijinks and this is where my lack of Hallmark watching is a disservice because I don't know. I feel like I don't fully understand the Christmas movie landscape. Like that was something that I also questioned when I was watching it. I was like, do I understand exactly the formula of Christmas? You do. This is making me question it. Okay. I do. It's making you question it because it's confusing. In my <laughs> opinion. Again, that's my opinion though. Like in there's Rochelle. So much, like, there's so much out there that I've not seen. Like, I mean, I'll even scroll on Netflix and I'll be like, mm, no, like, I don't think. I right. Can but this one. was supposed to be like a mainstream LBGTQ accessible, not like a hallmark, like niche of a movie. Right. Like that's what I thought was, it was trying to do was be that to access that. Like, I feel like it was doing both. It was like trying to be elf and trying to be an F like that. Those are the two like, confl- I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I, do, I just don't understand if the director was trying to like sell it through a Trojan horse, like why that would be. So this was written in 2016 and sold to Sony in 2017, co-written by Duval and Holland. Duval had the idea and based the Abby character after herself. So during filming, Kristen Stewart would say, how would you say it? And so something I read about an interview Duval did, uh, she said that, this was an amalgam of different ways that she's celebrated holidays, different coming out stories, different friends coming home uh, with her or her going home with other friends and what that looked like and the dynamics that she experienced and the different types of people she experienced in more of like a, yeah, like I said, an amalgam. And so 
I think one thing, because I did go back and look to see how many of these Christmas films um, were written and directed by the same person, um, telling a somewhat autobiographical story. Very few. Almost all are created as a franchise, um, the Christmas genre franchise type film. Um, Going to get funding for a rom-com for a holiday film is much easier to get funding for than it is just to get a straight rom-com funded. Uh, And so there's all that built in, like you were saying, Cassidy, like this whole Netflix boom and and Stacey, how Hallmark hadn't really pulled you in necessarily, but Netflix is helping us get over that and maybe giving us permission. This was never supposed to be on Hulu, right? It was supposed to release to the theaters and, and ultimately become whatever Clay's experience, whatever Duvall's experience has been as a gay person during the holiday season. And I think that it's just a lot more disdainful and a lot more hurt and a lot more realistic from that more grounded queer perspective with these caricatures of conservative idealism and expectation, like that massive divide. Uh, I felt too, Stacey, I felt that. And it didn't pull me out because I'm so familiar with it that it just was like, yes, this is so truthful. This is so accurate. Above you know, an overboard, you know, more, too much at some at, at points, you know, I'm like, oh God, that's horrible. But is it believable? It sure is. I mean, but yeah, it- like she <laughs> nailed the feeling of being somewhere and being isolated yet surrounded by a family that like you're not vibing with or, you know, whatever that is for us on an individual level. So, like I felt that the whole time. And all of my criticisms don't affect my like rewatchability for it because I'll watch it again. It's just... I guess I've just never felt so like emotionally confused and conflicted by two because it is like she took two subgenres of rom-com and like fused them together in a way that I'm not really comfortable with yet because it is like it's the two it's me like settling in to experience a family stone you know watching experience but then also having pops of like I don't know the princess switch in there (laughs) right yeah it was like A-list cast but B writing the B Christmas formula and, that's, and not that's even writing it. it was the formula. It was the packaging. It was that it was. Yeah, you're right. Cause it's, it isn't the writing. It's like the tropiness of it, it or something, but it all comes again. Yeah. It comes back. I keep like coming back to my expectations when it comes to these films. There's also, yeah, just life experience. I can't connect with at all um, a family dynamic like that. So, you know, if I had had some sort of friction like that with a sister or my mother or something like that, and then to see that heightened, I could be like, okay, yeah, I I totally get where that's coming from. I can follow that thread back to the truth of what that feels like. So that's, that has to be a piece of it too, is my own experience, not even to mention not being queer. Yeah, I definitely felt like there was an undertone that I didn't understand, like that wasn't not that it wasn't for me. It's that, like you said, Kesty, I'm not comfortable with yet, or I'm still trying to figure out. And I knew it wasn't the writing. I thought it could be the story structure. I knew I was having trouble connecting with Harper. But Teo Bugby for the New York Times says it super eloquently, this, this thing that I'm missing, that I missed when I was watching it. Because I watched it twice to make sure I caught everything. But uh, Bugby says, yet beneath the holly jolly facade, there is real disdain here for straight people's cheery conservatism. 
their preference for smiling silence. This is a story about the self-annihilation queer people face when they mold themselves to straight expectations, told by a lesbian filmmaker working in maybe the most stereotypically heterosexual genre, the Christmas romantic comedy. And isn't that great? You know, because maybe to represent groups that have not been represented, we will have to merge genre because it's complex and because it's not nestled in nostalgia. So we don't automatically get some of, of these rise and falls in story click. They don't click in our mind the same, the same way because we don't have the same connection to them because we've not had the exposure. So I'm trying to leave room for that. As and I'm I like learning. that. I like that. Like I like leaving room for, cause I mean, for me, it wasn't like, I disliked the movie. I watched it thrice. <laughs> like I'll probably watch it again before Christmas this year, whatever. Yeah. I think discomfort is the word that sums it all up for me and not in a bad way in a, like clay is taken on a new frontier maybe. And we all just have to like settle in to it. And how cool would it be if the sequel was like all about Harper? It would be helpful. She could do a, a Midnight Sun situation. <laughs> Same exact movie, but just add like all of Harper's perspective into it. That would be fascinating. Her instinctual performance, straight performance, was so intense. To have Abby watch her just fall back into that straight performance as a means of survival is just like, I want to see that movie. <laughs> I want to yeah. see that that journey for sure. And that's not what this movie was. This movie was taking what is an everyday situation for someone who's queer, whether they are out and fully supported in the closet with a family like Harper's, you know, she tried to take all of that and still keep it light. And maybe the mainstream will watch it because it's got some funny antics and all of these really familiar characters that we've seen in movie history that we love and instantly feel nostalgic for. Like the mom, when I see her, I instantly think Christmas. She's like the Christmas mom and Back to the Future. Me. (laughs) And plan or and uh, parenthood. It's fine. Oh, yeah. yeah. Parenthood. And then Jack Bristow, of course. Of course. Oh, my gosh. One of my favorite. Oh, gosh. Top-notch dad right there. Top-notch great dad. (laughs) (laughs) Who brought a tear to my eye. And I think it was, you know, Abby who asked Riley, like, which one of the Harpers is the real Harper? And Riley said, maybe they both are. And I just really appreciated that insight into Harper's struggle because I was struggling with trying to figure out what she was up to and why she was so easily drawn back into this lie. You know, she says... I'm not hiding you. I'm hiding myself at the end. And like, that's when I cry. Like that's the only time I cry in this movie uh, because it's just, it's so apparent. It's such a climax for her character at that point, no matter how confused I was before it like hits for me. It's like the pieces locked together enough that I can hold her again. Of course, then she ruins it, but that's, that's just storytelling. You know, you have to switch the powers. It has to go from negative to positive, negative to positive. Like you have to expect that's coming next. It just, it was a bit of a berating at that point. Yeah. And it, I think it would have all felt different if we would have gotten a little, if we would have gotten to know Harper, just like a tiny bit more, you know, like we probably, by we, I mean, just like the collective audience as a whole against Harper, like team Riley, 
audience, you know, we probably would have been way more understanding to Harper too, if there would have just been a little bit of backstory for her character. Like even Abby's character, you know, her, she lost her parents. I mean, I guess you kind of get it. Like Harper's a writer and her dad, they're all like super uptight and conservative, but I don't know, just like more screen time, honestly, even with her, like more interactions with her sisters or because like even with her family, it's confusing because she's so disconnected from her sisters too. Like she doesn't give a shit or talk to them and her and Sloane are so mean to each other. It's like, I feel like she wasn't given any opportunity to like be a real character. They're so mean to each other and Harper doesn't even recognize it. That was hard for me. That lack of self-awareness. That part where she made Abby look in her darn eyes to take a shot. Like, can you imagine if you went home with an ex and they like made you do that? Like even a straight significant other being like eyes, 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 eyes. Like that movie is visceral. Like I could like feel being Abby in that. I was like, oh, visceral. So it's good. It's weird. Watch it like a couple of times, gentle listeners, because I couldn't, I still don't have a grasp on like exactly how I feel about this film. Other than I think I like it and I'll watch it again. I think I can connect, though, a little bit with Harper. I feel influenced by the people around me, and I tend to fall into the community that I'm in. So, And I can feel that if I go back and visit other people or reconnect with, with older friends that I'm suddenly like, I don't know this dynamic, and I can feel myself performing. So just that whole that whole piece of revisiting your past is is so weird and jarring, and you can fall back into this person that you were even though you are so far removed from that person, but it's, it's just like these synapses that you revisit and, and you're like, Oh yeah, those are burned into my brain. What the f- I think that's why it feels kind of gross to watch those scenes because it, again, it's like so visceral, like we've all, and maybe it's not the exact scenario that's happened. That's playing out in happiest season, but we've all felt either ourselves retracting back into that or have like witnessed someone else do it. You know, we've all like been there at a level. And so, yeah, this movie is so interesting because it's the cheesiness hitting with these like real world experiences that we can all like feel to our core, or at least I could as a viewer. It was like suffocating feeling. I had thought, especially upon seeing it the first time. And then again, the second time that it was so clever to, not dredge up backstory or do an info dump at the beginning of the film and show Harper and Abby's relationship evolve over the year before in illustration form. I really liked that. But you saying that maybe we needed a little bit more from their home and their life together, that was a little more memorable versus the, you know, the illustration of Thanksgiving with John and the three of them together celebrating in such a, a close way um, and the intimacy of their life that they've built together. Yeah, you know, maybe we did need more uh, from Harper, at least to help ground us in the reality of their life and create that stark difference of her then slipping back into her past. Or even if it was her with like her mom or, you know, like human moments with Harper, I feel like we didn't have any, like the only moment that continually comes to mind is when her and Jane are in the wine shop and Jane drops the case of wine, but Harper's like not even present with Jane. She's watching Riley and Chris. So it's like, we never get Harper in her like human self. Cause she's always like, she's kind of a fly on the wall character the whole time. And I mean, and maybe Stace, you're nodding like, so like enthusiastic, like, you know, maybe that is a human trope that I just don't identify with too, you know, so I'm like missing it. I'm just like, I don't know. 
I love Mackenzie Davis too so much. So I just wanted more of her and even just like tiny moments more of her or like her at the dinner, like an interaction with her dad, like obviously her and her dad, dad have a special connection, even like a moment with her and her dad. Cause obviously the two of them had a special connection, you know, just like tiny moments. And I feel like the only moments we were seeing of Harper, like you had mentioned, Rochelle was all from Abby's perspective. So it kind of puts her in this unsavory light and she just didn't have as much of a chance for audiences to like her, I feel like. Well, and like Stacy said, she's performing. So I'm guessing we didn't get these asides with her family members because the ones we did get were so unsatisfying because she's being inauthentic. Was it, it was Dan Levy's character, John. He said, uh, he said, yeah, there's nothing more erotic than concealing your authentic selves. <laughs> I just thought that was such a great line because it was true. That's the crux of Harper's character is that, yeah, we don't get any of Harper because Harper doesn't get any of Harper. You know, she lives in her little fantasy bubble where everything is safe, but not authentic necessarily with Abby. So yeah, that is Harper. And it makes sense why we can't connect with her and why everyone's pissed at her. Like, Everyone is yeah. so pissed at her. Everyone's and it leads. Like, why would you wait until the yeah. last minute to tell her what's well, going on? Yeah, it leads to you question. It lead led to me questioning whether they really belong together at all. Uh, but of course, the film's too short for that. And it really did. It brought me back to the Family Stone because this is also a film where you're questioning whether the main couple belongs together, and you know you you get a little bit of a a swip swap of partners at the end. But ultimately, they're dealing with the questions of authentic self and you're not we're not dealing with queer relationships at all in the family stone it's very 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 white for the most i mean we've got one black man you know so it's just like very very white uh but they are dealing with the questions of authentic self and not knowing yourself and not knowing yourself enough to pick the person that's right for you but that was still not enough for me in happiest season to think that just because just because harper was struggling that meant that abby and riley this stranger who she has had no like relationship with or time with would be better suited it's just they were kind to each other it's new it's a new connection oh, that bummed me out reading that i'm like oh my god yeah How and i don't i don't necessarily agree with those critiques of the film but I think what Family Stone did is it made me feel like I knew every single family member. I knew what their struggles were. I knew what they needed as a character. And I knew none of that in Happiest Season, except for Abby, for any of them. Like, Jane, what do you need? Do you need your sisters to not shit on you and, like, destroy your painting? That's all you need? Like, wow, what a sad character. You know, it's just like, I feel like they were, yeah, the, the facades were too big and, like, silly for me to, like, connect to actually connect with any of those characters or buy it. Like with Family Stone, it's like a moving story about a struggling family, like just trying to hang out together. This film, again, I'll rewatch it, but it will continue to be confusing and I'll, I'll never be like, yeah, what a great family story. No. It's definitely not. Yeah, it's definitely not that for me either, for sure. I mean, I'm obsessed with Jane. I think she's phenomenal. I think the writing for the humor in this film really hit for me um, every single time every single time. And it wasn't too big for me uh, because it helped balance the severity of Harper's behavior. Like she was meeting them with her own version of ridiculousness. Uh, so that worked for me, but yeah, Jane definitely needed to get her novel published and she does. And yeah, it takes 
10 years to build a world. It really does. No, she, no, she was too big. I mean, going like, should I go over and have her check my mole? Like ridiculous stuff. But I, it was funny to me. I thought it was so funny. And to me, it wasn't not funny. Again, it was like the two energies colliding that was just confusing. And like, I think I was so distracted by being confused about it that I couldn't like just character development and making sure it's there. I don't know. My takeaway for this movie is like, what? (laughs) I don't know. Next time you watch it, pretend that all of the family members are just tokenized straight people. I mean, and yeah, that's fine. And like, I appreciate your insight there, but I don't buy that for like accessing it on a national level of like a lot of homophobic people that like need this story on their living room screens. We all need it. Even this one, like we need it. We all need it. And it's a good story. It's just confusing. And my takeaway is what? I don't really know what my takeaway is other than I'm very, I'm confused by it. And that I want more LBGTQ rom-coms in general, not Christmas ones. And, oh no, I lost it. That's it. (laughs) Yeah, I think for me, the takeaway is that I am so uninformed about the stories that queer people need and how they need their lives to be represented that I'm trying to hold everything with open hands, I guess. I love what you said about tokenized straight people. We've been tokenizing gay people forever and black people, any person of color, anyone not white. And so that in and of itself is a little bit or a lot of bit of a massive success <laughs> for me. It's like relearning how to hold things um, and being more informed as we get more stories, like you said, Cassidy, uh, because I'm ready for it. I, or I want to be ready for it. I think that I had a blast with this film. I, I definitely feel both of the energies that can be dis- discomforting. And I want to know if that's the point. Because I think it might be part of the point. And I don't know enough yet. So that's me. I'm excited to learn more. My takeaway I remember now was, yes, more LBGTQ stories. And... More Hanukkah stories if we're going to be in the (laughs) holiday realm. That's what it was. was more just, yeah, like what you said, Rochelle. I'm not really interested, I guess, too, in seeing like a movie made for straight white people. I want to see what the LBGTQ community needs and learn from that. Like I'm here as simply an audience member that only flaps my mouth because we have a podcast that requires (laughs) me to do so. But otherwise, more stories like that. And please, a Hanukkah story, Jenny Slate, please. That would be so good. (sighs) I think my takeaway from this film is really checking in with myself before I turn on a film, what my expectations are and how that's going to impact how I take it in. This film does a lot and probably more than I fully understand um, for a community that I'm still learning about as best as I can being who I am. So while it didn't hit for me on the comedy level, it hit on so many other levels. And it just, I think it's going to require me to be even more intentional and holding at the same time, also just completely holding it lightly when I go into viewing films where it's not necessarily for me. Also, I second more smoochies and like (laughs) romantic times because yeah, I was expecting more like, romance between those two that's not really a takeaway that's just a desire (laughs) it's just like this movie can have you chasing your tail and like we could literally start our entire conversation over we would say like the same stuff and we would talk for an hour longer because that's oh yeah absolutely good it is like yeah i think she did break into some 
Clay broke into some new territory that none of us have ever sat through a viewing experience quite like it. And yeah. I mean, I'm down for more. I would definitely watch your next film. I'll rewatch this one. Um, yeah, this one was fun to pick apart. And I don't like picking apart films that are like LBGTQ breakout. Rock. You know what I mean? It's kind of like Stacey, you said you you have to hold it lightly, but it is hard to hold a film lightly when you're going into it, knowing you're about to critique it and podcast on it. And that there are, are all of these other things that we're trying to look out for and analyze as we go into our viewing experience as podcasters. Absolutely. Oh, I have something to confess to you both. <gasps> Guilty confession. Guilty You've watched confession. it four times. No, but I am currently tracking both of you with your phones. <laughs> I would be okay with it. If you guys wanted to track me, I would be fine. Like, you don't know where I am at every moment, and I would be okay with it. Only you, you guys. Happy holidays to all of you who celebrate. For those of you who do not, have a very safe end to your 2020. Our thoughts and hearts will be with you. And for anyone out there whose story has not been told in a holiday film, in any type of big box office film, we will be keeping our eyes peeled because we're dying to see your story. Happy New Year. This has been a Quarantine Style Talking to Crows production. <laughs>